0: It is the 200 level episode 99 Shannon Ryan coming up in a bit and plenty to talk about with her Mike Carpenter from the basement on what is a very hot Thursday as we enter a holiday weekend So a happy 4th of July Independence Day to all of you I know that we probably are not feeling as good about the United States as we would like to But in this holiday weekend at the very least we can enjoy time with our family and our friends Hopefully in a socially distanced manner But you know what is kind of hanging over all of this is the fact that COVID-19. Yes, that dreaded pandemic. It is getting worse, substantially worse. I think yesterday was about 53,000 cases, and that is a new record. And we could say that it's simply Arizona, Texas, Florida, but unfortunately, these things tend to move. These illnesses tend to not just stay in one place. And what does concern me is that sort of like we felt back in March when there was all the unknowns surrounding this pandemic when it first hit, there's that tension in the air. There's that fear, for lack of a better word, that things might get worse before they get better and that they may come here even into Champaign-Urbana, a community that's done everything the right way. And a lot of the conversation in today's episode is going to be about Milo Eifler, Illinois linebacker who yesterday spoke out first on Twitter and then to the media about his concerns with playing sports in a world where a pandemic is not only going on, but unfortunately it's raging in America worse than any other country in the world. And he has a lot of concerns that are valid, especially when it comes to that quote-unquote student-athlete term that we throw around quite a bit, which I know Harry Black spoke to that, and we'll speak with Harry, I think, on Sunday for the 100th episode, and we'll get plenty of his take on this as well. But it does feel different as we sit here on July 2nd, entering the 4th of July holiday weekend, than it did even a month ago, where I think at the beginning of June, things were feeling pretty positive we're trending the right direction. At least in the state of Illinois, things were really trending in the right way. We are able to go from phase three to phase four, gradually open things up. You start hanging out with friends outside again, maybe groups of four, six, eight even, and you feel okay about it. You're starting to get over that mental hump and realizing that, yeah, life can resume, if not 100% normal, at least to an extent. But as time has went on, unfortunately, the realities just show that We are not done with this pandemic, or really, I guess it's the pandemic is not done with us. And it's a mixture of factors. I mean, let's be real. There are selfish people, and I don't know if America has more selfish people than any other country. The numbers may bear that out because there is a percentage of people that are simply refusing to wear a mask. This is what's amazing to me is finding out the people I know that I would consider friends are just being jerks about the mask thing. You know, they're puffing their chest out. They're getting all macho about it. And it's like, just wear a stupid mask, not for you, but for the people around you. This is a minor inconvenience, if that. I digress. The mask thing we could spend a lot of time on. But when it comes to sports, this is going to have a major impact. And I think the differentiation here is college sports and pro sports, which we'll get into a bit, because that is where the key difference lies. A student athlete is far different than a professional athlete that can be in a union, that has representation. And... <clears throat> gets compensated for what they do. And yes, I know you get tuition, that's great. But let's be real when we're talking about this situation, there is no hazard pay for a student athlete. And really, I guess, for professional athletes as well as they enter the workforce again. But they are being treated. As essential workers, student-athletes are being treated as essential workers. So Milo Weifler spoke to that yesterday. We're going to get to that in a bit. Before we do, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at DPdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. And this is a good holiday weekend to actually order out for lunch or dinner. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go to dpdo.com. You'll find the full menu. You can get a custom zone with any toppings you want or one of their favorites, the Maui Wowie, the buffer zone. Maui Wowies is a really good summer calzone and you get the signature dipping sauce on the side. That's dpdough.com. Also 4th and Kirby online at FourthandKirby.com. Coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order and 365 days a year they have this special going on. You buy two shirts, you get one free. So you couple that with a coupon code. Oh my God. Amazing. And these are vintage inspired wine-eye apparel mostly t-shirts that will keep you cool during what is a very hot month coming up. So forthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it. You can at least get some information from Brian and the staff over at Brian Hanson State Farm Agency, but you can also go online to brianismyguy.com, which of course is Trevor's favorite domain name. And here's the deal. When it comes to insurance, you want to be able to trust the person your insurance agent, I know Brian, you can trust this guy. And that's the most important part of all. So Brian is my guy.com for information on Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. So let's get to the tweet heard around the world. This is Wednesday at 1137 a.m. from Milo Eifler. I understand that people want to see us play this season, but in reality, how can a team full of 100 plus student athletes fully function during a pandemic? Trust, my teammates and I want to play. But schools around the country are showing blatant disregard for student athletes. That says a lot of the things that I think we've talked about on the show and really a lot of sports media outlets have been talking about is how do you operate a sport like football, especially in the middle of a pandemic? But he does bring in the student athlete component where the blatant disregard that's. That's a pretty strong statement, but it's hard to disagree. And I want to go back to the end of May when the plans were unveiled that Illinois would be bringing back football and men's basketball and then women's basketball athletes. We spoke with Harry and Trevor, and Harry was very open about his blatant disregard, let's say, for the term student athlete and how it is a very transparent and very thinly veiled attempt to say, well, you know, hey, they're getting the education. So therefore, compensation is not really a concern here. And that they're treated, because of the word student, like any other student. We know that not to be the case. There are no summer classes going on at the University of Illinois. Or really, I think if you look at most higher education institutions, there are not summer classes in class for sure. So, yet we still bring them back on campus. We put them in university housing or apartments. We ask them to maintain social distancing when they are away from the football performance center or from the oven. Depending on the school, you sign a pledge or maybe even a waiver. We're going to talk with Shannon Ryan about that because she wrote a great detailed article about the things that schools are making these uh student-athletes sign. But at the end of the day, I think we know why these sports or why these athletic programs are making sure that these sports go on in the first place. It is a financial issue, and it's understandable because if you were to take the football season out And try to ask these athletic departments to operate under a budget where they missed revenue from the NCAA tournament, where they missed revenue from spring sports. All the TV revenue that goes with that, by the way, especially March Madness. And then you get into a college football season and you take away game day revenue. You take away TV revenue. That would be crippling for most athletic programs. And I'm guessing Illinois would be one of those. Even though we get the $50 million each year or whatever it is from the Big Ten Network, you aren't getting that amount of money. If the games are not put on TV and you don't get the advertising revenue. So from a logistical standpoint, I understand why it is important for these athletic programs, Illinois included, to say, "Okay, we're going to bring these students back. We're going to try to do it as safely as we can. And to the credit of, let's say, Josh Whitman, I don't think he said once blatantly that, hey, this is 100 percent safe. We know exactly what we're doing. He has said that we have measures in place. But I think in a moment of candor, he would acknowledge that there is no way to do this 100% safe because, well, it's a pandemic. That's just impossible. With this many student athletes having to keep track of them, you can test them all you want, but one slip through the cracks and before you know it, you have a bunch of guys in quarantine because of contact tracing and all that. So I understand why this is a dilemma, financial dilemma, I should say, for the University of Illinois, but it's not really a moral dilemma. And here's what I mean by that. We all know what the right thing probably is here. And I think that because we've been thirsting for sports so much, we tend to ignore that and think, well, let's just get him back on the field and hopefully things will work out. I mean, after all, the summer, the numbers were supposed to dip. We're supposed to be in the Valley. Well, that's not the case, right? And for the first time since March and April, with all the uncertainty that was going on then, I am genuinely concerned that we get any games off whatsoever, especially when it comes to college sports. Here's the key difference. A student athlete, they don't have representation. They don't get compensated for this. And when I think about the institutions, University of Illinois or otherwise, there has to be some liability concerns that if they were to put these players on a field and one of them gets it in a game in September, how are you to tell just that one individual, you quarantined, but the other 99 guys, they probably weren't exposed to it. No, it doesn't work that way. Or how about the travel? Air travel, air travel, In all likelihood, Illinois, like Milo said yesterday, what, are we going to take a bus to Piscataway, New Jersey for the game against Rutgers? Now you're probably going to fly. And we know that travel is another way that you could get this disease. They live in dorms and apartments with multiple other people. They eat in these large cafeterias that even if you practice social distancing, we know you get a group of people indoors anywhere and the risk of transmission is that much higher. So all these logistical things, you know, they're back on campus. They're living, they're doing their thing, and as of yet, and we would not know necessarily because the University of Illinois has told us they will not make it public if a student-athlete tests positive. But as of yet, there hasn't even been a murmur or a whisper that someone over there at the Football Performance Center or at the oven, has come down with this thing. So that's good, right? But it seems inevitable, and it's really unfortunate that we go through the first couple months of this pandemic, and I would say the majority of people did what they had to do, and especially in the state of Illinois, we did what we had to do to flatten the curve and then get it pretty low, which would have made this season possible. But that's just simply not the case anymore. So as we sit here, it's July 2nd, and I know things can change, but unfortunately, the way that numbers go with this pandemic, everything is delayed two to three weeks. So any step that we take today, the beginning of July, won't be seen until we get to July 22nd, July 23rd. By that point, you're talking training camp. It just doesn't seem like it's in the cards. And I remember distinctly conversations, text conversations with Harry and Trevor back on March 11th, March 12th, and that would have been the two-day period where you started to have conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament canceled, postponed and then canceled when it seemed inevitable. And I hate the fact that we're sitting here and it seems inevitable to me. That there won't be college football. And this is coming three days after I said, yeah, you know, they're going to make sure it happens because they need the money. Yeah, I I would agree that they're still going to do everything in their power to try to get these games off. But when you see the numbers get up to, let's say, 80,000 cases a day, 90, 100,000 cases, which I know Anthony Fauci said is possible if we don't make drastic changes, then it's not going to happen. It's just not. For the Southern schools, they can't, in good conscience, put these players out there. I know they're going to try their damnedest because they need the money. So what do I want the University of Illinois to do? I don't know. You know, it's, it's a situation where there will be people that will lose their jobs in all likelihood. The way that budget will take a hit, there will be people that lose their jobs if there is not a football season. And that's a shame. That's a real shame. And the economic cost of this is well documented. We have unemployment at a record high. And even though some jobs were added today, I think 4.1 million jobs were added today to bring unemployment down to 11%. But the problem is now you get these new closures and that number is going to go right back down. All these service industry workers in Texas and Florida and Arizona that are told, actually, you got to go home again. So we have the health concern. We have the economic concern. And the health concern needs to take precedent, especially Considering these are student-athletes, right? We use that term again, 18 to 22-year-olds that you bring onto campus, that you go into the living rooms of these families and say, we are going to protect your son or your daughter. And then you put them out on the court or on the field to make money for your athletic program to save some jobs. That's where the formula kind of breaks apart. And the priorities are simple. You need to keep people safe. After the firestorm, let's say, from the tweet yesterday from Milo, there was a press conference or media availability that was going to happen early in the afternoon, I want to say around 1 o'clock noon, around lunchtime. And the DIA said, no, we're going to postpone that. We are going to have Milo speak with Lubby and Josh Whitman. That's what he did. He did meet with the media yesterday afternoon around 3, 3.30. And I wanted to play a couple of these audio clips, and this is courtesy of Jeremy Warner in and I Inquirer. You know Jeremy Warner and let Milo speak to this because this shows i think these two audio clips that you're about to hear the uncertainty and that's the big word right i don't want to sit here and say covid-19 will be the death of us all or covid-19 is going to ravage champagne urbana if we have a football season there's that uncertainty factor right but because of that i think it needs to at least bring us a little bit of caution a little bit of pause before we jump headfirst into a 12-game college football season and have 100 guys on one sideline, 100 guys on another, and then at any given time, 22 dudes ramming headfirst into each other, sweating, breathing, all that stuff, in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Caution. Pause. That's what I'm saying. Not cancel the season outright, but damn if it doesn't seem like that's the way that it's headed. So here is Milo Eifler speaking with the media. This would have been on Wednesday afternoon after he had spoken, with Josh Whitman and Lovie Smith.
1: Um, more, 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 so to say, like, I feel like all the players are on the same page as, hey, yeah, we want to come back and we want to play, but we just want to make sure that, you know, our health and our safety is is the priority, which is, which is, you know, Mr. Whitman kind of, he starts off every meeting like that. He's like, we're trying to make sure that our, our football players and basketball players and other athletes are, um, you know, their safety is the number one priority. But you know, it's hard when you kind of don't know. We're kind of taking this process day by day. Um, like it's always okay. We got through today, but are we gonna get through tomorrow? You know what I'm saying? So it's like a. That's the only you know process we have. Like sure, you know, like I want to go back to workouts, but am I gonna be good Friday? And you know what I'm saying? Like, I start Monday, but you know what I'm saying? Come Friday, am I going to be good? That's just like, this is those little questions that we have. Um, And, you know, I've been talking to the guys that have been working out since June 8th, and they seem pretty fine to me. So it's like a lot of that anxiety, you know, all those problems and questions are kind of being solved within the guys just talking to each other. Because, like, no, no, there's just like a lot of guys just like, hey, I don't want to come back just because I don't want to catch it. But at the same time, we have 30 40 guys that have been working out since June with without you know without any symptoms so that's that's where you got that you know that back and forth kind of i want to do it but then what happens you know what i'm saying so that, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at
0: it seems like what milo's touching on is something that we talked about at the end of may with harry and trevor and how the word voluntary was used by josh whitman and the plan that was put in place these are voluntary workouts no player is going to be forced to come back. But Milo's touching on that without saying it directly, that if you're on the team, you kind of have to be there, right? Or more to the point, if you're on the team and you're in town, but you don't want to go to the workouts until you're 100% sure that they're safe, then you run the risk of you know looking like you're waffling a bit, that maybe you aren't fully on board. This is part of the problem with trying to run athletic competitions in the middle of a pandemic, or any team for that matter, because for the person that is trying to exercise caution, that could be interpreted as, well, come on, you know, don't forget about the team. Don't forget about your obligations. When at the end of the day, yes, they are getting the scholarship to play these games. But a scholarship alone or some sort of feeling of duty towards their team should not override their own personal health and safety. So Milo is speaking to that dilemma right there about how, yeah, okay, I'm on the team, I wanna work out, I wanna play the games. But he also touches on another thing, and this is something we can all relate to, since March. And it's crazy to think we're coming up on four months since this thing began. I will say that, fortunately, time does seem to be going quicker than it did March and April. But I'm still hoping it accelerates so we can get to the fall and the winter and maybe a vaccine and a host of other things to move on from this awful period. That's what it is. But he talks about that uncertainty from day to day about how on Monday or Tuesday it could be one thing and then on Friday it could be a completely different sort of thing. That if one guy comes down with it, then how do you feel if you're Milo or another player on that team? And you know that you were on that same bench that that guy was doing squats or doing lifts and now maybe you were exposed to it. They're trying their best. I understand all the safety measures and protocols are in place and the social distancing and all that, but this is a different ball game. This is different than an office building opening up and saying, okay, we're going to have half of our people here and each one of you get your own office. No, we're talking about shared spaces still. And as Milo had said, he wants to get back to it, but there's that concern. And why wouldn't there be that concern? I think he did a a very nice job and a very eloquent job talking about the dilemma here because as I said before, everything's so uncertain right now. You don't have to be a hypochondriac to be worried about contracting this thing or spreading this thing to people that are more high at risk. So I appreciate the fact that Milo approached this very dilemma that he and other student athletes are facing. Now this next clip here is Milo talking about the conversation he had with coach Smith. Today,
1: coach Smith just reached out to me and was just, you know, was kind of in an understanding tone. It was just like, Hey, what's what's going on? What's going wrong? And he just wanted to know if I was, if I had any, uh um, things, you know, against Illinois. I'm like, no, it's good. I was just I was just raising concern for student athletes around the country. I know some college football players feeling the same way I'm feeling. And that's all I wanted to say was like, hey, I know you feel this way. If you feel this way, let me know too, because I know I'm not the only one going through this right now. So it's like, that's, that's all it was.
0: Full disclosure, I was a little bit concerned when they had postponed his media availability. And I'm thinking, oh, God, we're going to have another Oklahoma State thing. Remember Chuba Hubbard? And how he spoke out against Mike Gundy wearing the One American News Network t-shirt. Doesn't that feel like two months ago? I think it was maybe two weeks ago. And it was sort of unfortunate to see that Chuba was, I don't want to say forced into anything. That's that's not what it was. But it seemed very transparently, okay, let's have a video of you and Coach shaking hands, saying it's all good. We're going to work together on this. I know that Chuba continued to say afterwards that, hey, you know, despite the good conversations, there's work left to be done. But unfortunately, the optics of that seemed like Oklahoma State said, okay, Chuba, we're going to do some damage control here. That was my concern on Wednesday afternoon when they canceled that media availability and Milo spoke with Josh Whitman and Lovie Smith. Now, I don't have an issue with him speaking to either of those guys, and I, I want to try to remain optimistic about the way that Josh Whitman and Lovey Smith would approach this because they do get the benefit of the doubt in this particular case, and here's why. We have seen over the course of Josh Whitman's tenure here and Lovey Smith as well, they've been pretty good at allowing players to speak out. I have not gotten the sense that you do with a lot of college programs that they try to stifle the speech of their student athletes. And actually, sort of the opposite here. I think that they encourage it. Lovey's even talked about that during press conferences. We've seen Lovey be very outspoken about the George Floyd situation and the protest and racial issues in this country. We saw Josh Whitman, Brad Underwood, Nancy Fay, and a bunch of other from the DIA staff go to that protest here in town back on, I think, June 6. So they are being outspoken. They are supporting their student athletes as much as you could hope for from an athletic department. And while I do have a moral concern with the fact that they're asking these students to come back and practice in uncertain times, I understand why they are. It's just what you have to do at this point if you're going to keep up with the Joneses and hope to feel a competitive team on the field, on the court. But yeah, I was concerned. I'm thinking, oh God, please don't let this be a situation where Illinois Athletics are resorting to basically muzzling their players and saying, no, 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 you can't say that. Well, what did come out was, you know, clearly they wanted to speak with Milo before he spoke to the media. And maybe straighten some things out or get the concerns from him firsthand. And Milo did somewhat apologize for going to Twitter before he went to them. But here's the thing. It never struck me that Milo was criticizing the University of Illinois directly. Now, certainly, the University of Illinois is just as culpable as any other institution bringing back these student-athletes. They are. But it seemed like his tweet was much more about the overall student-athlete conundrum. The transparency with which these institutions are clearly just trying to make the money they need to make this fall with not a whole lot of regard for student health and safety. To me, it was a much more macro statement that he was making, and I hope that it wasn't interpreted by Lovey or Josh Whitman as, oh, he's attacking us. But in a way, indirectly, he kind of is. He's saying, well, you know, Illinois, I play here. I love it here. I want to get back on the field with my guys, but we're doing the same thing that all these other programs are doing, including the Clemsons of the world with 37 players tested positive or whatever the crazy number is. You know, here's the thing. I mentioned this on Tuesday on that podcast, how there was a tweet last week that I responded to from some guy I didn't even know, but I saw the people I knew were liking this tweet, which goes back to this sort of puffing your chest out machismo that's just BS in the middle of a pandemic, no less, about how, well, you know, 99.5% of these guys are going to be fine. There was a study from a University of Illinois professor. He ran the numbers on it, and he predicted that three to seven football players would die. If the college football season goes on as is, he predicted that three to seven college football players would die directly related to playing the game being on the field, being in the practice facilities, all of that. He's not He's not saying that these guys would die because they went to the residence hall in their dorm or that they went to class. No, he's saying specifically football-related illness from COVID-19. Three to seven. Now, that's not a big number. But Shannon Ryan even had a tweet yesterday where she had gotten a reply, well, you know, hey, someone might have to die. And have we really gotten to that point where we would accept that For what? For entertainment? So we can watch football again? I don't need it that bad. I don't need to watch the game that bad to think that sometime in mid-September we're going to have our first death of COVID-19 from, yeah, probably a younger guy. And while we know the vast majority of younger people do end up okay after this, and many of them even asymptomatic, there are still some who have died. And to me, that's just unacceptable. It's not worth it. For two reasons. One these student athletes don't have to die for our entertainment. And I know that we watch football as a gladiator sport, and we've sort of come to grips with the fact that there are head trauma, injuries, concussions, all these sorts of things that lead to problems later in their life. And the movie Concussion was pretty ham-fisted. It wasn't very good. But we know the stories of Dave Durson from the Bears, who ended up committing suicide after all the issues that he had with head trauma in football. And he is Not at all the only one to have dealt with that. And yet we have come to terms with all of that. We unfortunately think of it as collateral damage, which is usually a military term. That you go bomb a military facility, but unfortunately a civilian or two, they might die. That's collateral damage. But we've accepted that with football. So we are kind of culpable here, the fact that it's not like the sport has changed. It's not like it's gotten that much safer, but we watch it. And know full well that when some of these guys are 50, 55 years old, they're going to be peeing their pants and unable to speak. And we're okay with that. So let's not to take a soapbox here, because we don't, myself included, don't have any ground to stand on when it comes to that. But that is the first concern. student athletes being put in harm's way for what? Our entertainment. So our Saturdays in the fall have a little bit more excitement to them. That's not acceptable. And neither is the argument that this is necessary for athletic departments to survive. Yes, the economic impact would suck. But as a teacher myself for sixth graders, you know, we're dealing with our own thing about bringing students back into school and health and safety takes precedent over anything else, financials included. But the other part of it is community transmission. And I spoke to this on Tuesday, the concern of 40,000 students coming back into Champaign-Urbana and the consequences of that the inevitable consequences of that. And for us to just say, okay, for the tens of thousands of college football players to go bash their heads in, get this thing, go back to the residence halls, go out into their city, to the Meijer or the CBS or the Walgreens. Listen, the way the numbers are going right now, the way that July looks to shape up, remember when we thought that the summer hot temperatures, people being outside. Now, the numbers are going to go down. No, it ain't happening. And I I hate to be so cynical about it, but things are going to get worse before they get better. That's just the long and short of it. It's probably at least another month of really high numbers. And hopefully the mask, now that we got the messaging out there, and even Donald Trump says, well, wearing a mask, yeah, yeah, I guess it's okay. What a brave statement, by the way. At the end of the day, as much as I love sports... I don't need it. I, I don't need him. I am craving that first pitch on July 23rd if baseball does, in fact, proceed with their season. Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, oh my God, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I might shed a tear. Not, no joke. I mean, that's how much I love sports. I wouldn't be doing a sports podcast if I didn't love sports. But this is different. Uh, professional athletes, I have a little bit less of a moral concern, even though we're already seeing professional athletes. Mike Leake was the first one, Ryan Zimmerman another, and then Ian Desmond from the Rockies. And they are not going to be the only ones saying, you know what, I'm just going to set this one out. They have every right to do that. But they're also professional athletes, and they're compensated, and they get to make that decision and say, you know what, despite what my union decided upon that we are going to play, I am making this choice as an adult. The same cannot be said for student-athletes that are not able to unionize, that do not get compensated, that if they were to speak out, they do run the risk of potentially losing their spot in the two deep, and then potentially losing their scholarship, right, if they don't play. We've seen that happen before, too. And I am encouraged by the fact that Milo and other athletes have spoken out. This is not the end of it. I know that Milo did his tweet yesterday, and then he spoke to the media, but this isn't over, and Here's one other thing that I am encouraged by. Back to Josh Whitman and Lovie Smith and their willingness to let players speak. And also, sometimes in the case of protest or Lovie appearing on Mike Tarico's show, speaking out in support of their black athletes. This all sort of relates to one another, where we have the conversation about race going on and the fact that most college football and basketball players are black. And that is the majority of student athletes that were asking to come back in the middle of a pandemic to do What? to make money for the university, to make money for their athletic programs. That's what it is. So don't fool yourself about this is about competition, this is about growing the man, and I know that Lovey and Josh Whitman have said that before. Um, I think in their heart of hearts they know that this is very problematic. They can't be the first university, I guess. I mean, they could be, but I understand why it'd be difficult for them to say, you know what, we're going to be the first ones to really take a major step and say, you know what, we are not going to put our athletes on the field. That decision may be made for them, though. Governors may come into play here. J.B. Pritzker, we know, has been one of the more proactive governors. We could even see Mike DeWine, I think is how you say it, in Ohio. Their numbers are going up. Now, imagine trying to tell a bunch of Buckeye fans that, listen, we are not going to have organized sports in the fall because we need to get on the other side of this pandemic imagine trying to sell that to buckeyes fans but this decision may be taken out of their hands and I, i do worry that the lack of action or proactive thinking i should say from athletic directors ours included from head coaches ours included may be a case of them just waiting for a higher authority to say nah no games essentially taking the onus and the decision-making off of their hands. And that is one concern I have. This is going to be a weird month. I mean, they've all been weird months. March was weird. April was slow and a drag. May, you started to feel a little bit better. And then June, I felt good. Sat outside at Huber's. Had a couple drinks and some popcorn, just like old times. and, And been able to hang out with friends outside and gradually get back to it. And thank goodness it's summer and we are able to do that, but... Something happened along the way, and it's a mix of two things. One, yes, there are selfish people, some of whom I know, and I am starting to really question what was inside of these people all along. They can't wear a mask. God forbid you'd be so inconvenienced to show that you care about your fellow human. But the other part is leadership, and I could sit here and turn this into an anti-Trump thing, but we all know the guy's an idiot, okay? So that goes without saying. But there is a trickle down here, right? Where, okay, if he's not going to do it, President Trump, then, well, what about your governors? Some governors have, some have not. But specific to college sports, it comes down to the athletic directors and the chancellors. And they have a decision they could make. They have a decision that they might have to make if governors don't make it for them. I'd like to think that Illinois can be on the right side of this. That's not to say cancel the season on July 2nd. We know things change quickly. But with the uncertainty of all this, and now with student athletes speaking out, it seems like This is a pretty steep hill to climb to actually put these games on. And then the question I would follow up with that is how badly do we need them in the first place that we can't wait until the spring and have two seasons in one. How exciting would that be? We get into January and February and we have, I guess, like a winter training camp and we know that the season's opening up at Memorial Stadium post-vaccine, right? That could be a possibility. Post-vaccine, you open up with Illinois State on March 3rd or whatever at Memorial Stadium early spring football. Wouldn't you take that? Do we need it so bad right now? I get the financial concerns, but there are larger things than financials. And that includes the lives or the livelihood of student athletes. So I appreciate Milo speaking out and would like to think that that might be the start of a conversation that needs to happen nationally. And we'll see, you know I mean? This is what's really cool about some of these younger people speaking out. I know the younger generation gets crapped on a lot You know, they're slaves to their phones, and they just don't know how to live out in the real world, and yada yada. And yeah, some of these younger people are stupid, like the parties down in Tuscaloosa where they are, I guess, making cash prizes for whoever catches COVID-19 first. These are younger people. There's stupid people in any age group, as I've come to find out. But I really do think, and I'm heartened to see, these younger people, student athletes specifically, now feel like they can speak out. And when I speak with a Kerry Davis like I did a few weeks ago, he would have been one of those people speaking out. But back then, there was probably a stigma against it, and it's just something that you didn't do. Why were we not allowing student-athletes to speak out? Were we afraid of what they'd say? Were we afraid that they would touch on some truths that we feel a little bit uncomfortable about? Screw that. Get over your discomfort. We're going to go through this reckoning where there's going to be moments of discomfort. And Milo, contributing this to the conversation yesterday, it adds to it. So when we come back next week for the 100th episode, <laughs> hey, good news, we'll, we'll have a game to talk about, the throwback tournament, or whatever they call it, the TBT, on the 4th of July, I think it's 7 o'clock central, that we get the House of Pain with Andres Feliz, Nana Eggwoo, Malcolm Hill, Leron Black, Michael Finke, some other guys, Corey Bradford, unfortunately not on that team. I would have loved to see that, but he does have a little one on the way. So that I think that's a valid excuse. But it will be nice to watch live sports. I am have that circled on the calendar for the 4th of July. And it will be fun to sit down and watch some live sports. But man, when we get back here next week and the week after, I just don't know where this is going and none of us do. And it's unfortunate that this is the situation we're in, but to try to end this on a somewhat optimistic note, maybe this is what was necessary to have these conversations in the first place. I think that the role of the student athlete, quote unquote, will change. And this year is only going to help spur that change on. And then you take that to larger social and racial issues, again, spurred on change. If that's what we look back on 2020, between the pandemic and uh, terrible leadership and the race police brutality discussion, and we end up on the other side of this, a better country. I know I sound a little bit of Pollyanna right there, but uh, I'd take it. I'd be fine with that. All right, we got Shannon Ryan coming up, Chicago Tribune, amazing writer. We've had her on 93.5 over the years. I think even today she was hopping on Jeremy's show as well. She is super busy and always someone who has been able to write about not just the action on the court or on the field, but the issues on the outside of it or surrounding sports. And someone that I'm really looking forward to speaking about because she has been uh, covering college sports specifically and its return in the middle of a pandemic with a lot of detail, the legalities of it, the concerns of the student-athletes. So when Milo spoke about this yesterday, you know, we'd scheduled this with Shannon about a week and a half ago, and I thought, what better person to have on than Shannon Ryan? So let's get to it. It's Shannon Ryan, Chicago Tribune, The 200 Level. Shannon, that was a crazy Wednesday with Milo Eifler tweeting out a little bit before lunchtime. Kind of sent a firestorm on Twitter after that. And then he speaks with Lovey Smith and Josh Whitman. And I said right before you hopped on that I think that Lovey and Josh get the benefit of the doubt in how they've let players speak before and how they've been supportive of other issues. Um, But when you saw that the media availability was being delayed, did you have any concerns initially?
2: Well, yeah. I mean... I'm going to just apply like common sense and experience and kind of the history of what happens, uh, how college athletes have college athletics operates, first of all, and every and professional athletics. Um, it's a controlled environment. Um, the players are expected to represent the team and um, more and more lately we're seeing college athletes and athletes everywhere. Um, feel more empowered to express their opinions, express things about their own um, rights and their own experiences. And for years, that just kind of was uh, really stifled by um, college leagues, college teams, pro leagues. Um, We're we're seeing that shift again, um, just because I think the time we're living in. um, But Yeah, I mean, there's just this idea of it's a controlled, coaches want one message, right, in an ideal world, and they, and athletic uh, directors, they want very unified message. So they don't want Illinois being portrayed as any kind of division. And that's not just Illinois, it's everywhere. We saw what happened with, you know, Mike Gundy um, at Oklahoma State. So this is everywhere um, when athletes, say something that maybe the team would think okay is this going to make us look bad that you know it looks like maybe we're not all on the same page but to me um I thought it did make it look like they (laughs) they weren't on the same page because if I think Illinois should have already known how their athletes felt about this and you saw a lot of um, Milo Eifler's teammates uh, retweeting what he shared about, which I thought was just a really normal concern that I think every American is feeling right now about what is safe and um, what should I be doing in my everyday life and what are the risks right now. Those are really intelligent questions to me. Um, and what he was asking about is, you know, how logistically do you pull it off that you can bring back 100 athletes and we're going to be safe? Uh, that's a really good question. It's a really good concern. It is, um, he didn't point out Illinois specifically um, and just talked about overall, I thought. I thought it was a really uh, important thing to say and uh, made a lot of sense to me, kind of common sense here, that athletes would be feeling that way. But to me, if like the coach and athletic director are caught off guard by an athlete feeling that way, and obviously a lot of his teammates feeling that way, um, which I don't think is a negative way. It's just a intellectual process they were going through and wondering about their own risks that... You know, I feel like they should have already known how their players felt about coming back to campus um, and being in workouts. And yeah, there's a lot of guys. I don't know. It's you know hard to go through every single person, maybe, but they have a responsibility to have already known. Hey, these guys are worried about this, and here's um, you know. I guess maybe they have, and the message isn't getting through. But you need to have a clearer message then to your players about how you are protecting them, and do you have any questions? And hit us up before you come back to campus with these questions. So um, that didn't seem to be the case at Illinois. So I do think it was uh, a little bit concerning, but I mean, they, they have let guys speak out. They've let guys speak through, um, you know, in marches and rallies and the Black Lives Matter movement, they've been very supportive of. But um, I don't know, I just always think it's a little concerning when um, a player speaks his mind and there's some kind of intervention.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the Oklahoma State situation. Within a couple hours, I think, of Chuba having tweeted that, then you get the awkward video where Chuba is apologizing. And that was a concern yesterday, too, when Milo, I think, uh, in the media availability said, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have went on Twitter first. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. I I don't know, especially in this day and age when student athletes seem to be more empowered to speak out, that uh, it was a problem that he went to Twitter first. uh, But you hit on a key point there that it seems more of a reactive measure from Josh and from Lovie Smith. And that kind of surprises me uh, that that dialogue doesn't appear to have already been ongoing and that this is merely a reactive, uh-oh, we got to hit the pause on the media availability and make sure we talk to Milo first. That did surprise me.
2: Yeah. And just, um, I guess, you know, it's not surprising to me because like I said, I mean, it's, a uh, your brand, um, as much as, everybody in the NCAA tries to deny (laughs) it in college football it's purpose is making money right and that's why these athletes are back on campus is it's a money-making measure for the university and I mean that's everywhere and that's just the fact and uh we kind of play this pretend game in sports where (laughs) uh this amateurism idea that's still being um debated but um Yeah. It it wasn't like a surprising thing to me that he's that they wanted to control the message. And, um, maybe that's too strong. They said they wanted to hear what he had to say, you know, but, um, you know, then he he was very clear in that he felt like Illinois was doing a responsible thing. And, um, I don't think he initially even made Illinois look bad at all. I guess is my point that he was talking just like, I think every athlete in this country, um, or their family is thinking about these things and everyday Americans, the stuff he brought up about going to the grocery store. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about too. I mean, I didn't think like this kid took this blowtorch to Illinois and (laughs) ripped everybody. He didn't do that. I think just, you know, he expressed concerns about how are we going to pull this off and how are we going to be safe? I don't think that deserved intervention. Um, And I don't think Illinois handled it horribly at all. They, he did speak a couple hours later, but to me i just didn't see it as like you you need to intervene or everyone's you've got to you know make sure he's saying these keywords and um you know buzzwords or whatever but um you know it didn't surprise me that they'd want to do that either
0: the student athlete phrase is problematic to begin with and i had a conversation with harry black who uh, is a co-host on the show and was an athlete for illinois football actually under uh the tim beckman era and he has an issue with that. I think a lot of these athletes have an issue with the student-athlete moniker. And to me, Shannon, I'm having a hard time reconciling college sports, a harder time, I should say, than I am pro sports. And the big reason for me is the pro pro athletes, they at least have representation. They get compensated. Um, they won't exactly get hazard pay for playing, but they will get paid nonetheless. So in the midst of this, do you think that the pandemic is almost spurring on a conversation that we've we've seen little bits and pieces that the student-athlete thing needs to be amended. I get the feeling that this may be the final jumping-off point, especially if they play games and then we have illnesses, or worst case, even a few players die as a result.
2: Yeah, I mean, those are extreme scenarios, but there are scenarios, and it's something um, that is being talked about, but it deserves a lot of consideration here. And I think beyond like the logistics of sports. I think we do need to be um, talking about kind of the exploitive nation, um, uh, situation here um, and, and just the idea of what, what does this mean that these guys um, are being brought. You know, you're telling college students it's not safe for you to be on campus right now. Um, it's too risky. We didn't have summer school. We canceled the spring that that's not, it's not a safe environment for you to all be back. Now there's plans to bring them back in the fall, but the idea that um, athletes are coming back first and being subjected as a kind of like a test run almost. Um, I think other people have said this too, that, you know, it just, it, it does seem like um, it's playing into the same scenario of athletes being there to make money for you and them not being fairly compensated and um, just Using athletes as uh, in an exploitative um, situation here, where they're almost like guinea pigs. Um, people have said, and I, I think it seems that way. That you're seeing, okay, is this safe? Uh, how's this going to work out? Is this safe? Let's see how many of these guys get this. Um, and they are taking uh, safety measures. They're, you know, having slower returns and staggered returns and fewer guys working out, but. You know, it's all great on paper, but you're seeing outbreaks across the nation, 50 plus schools, and a lot of schools aren't even telling people if there is positive testing. But so the ones we know about, there's at least 50. And those schools, a lot of them are just, some have suspended workouts, but some are saying like, oh, well, we'll just keep going and 30 guys, oh, well, we'll just uh, see if they get better. And we don't know the long-term effects of this yet. And um, we know it can affect your organs and your heart, and that younger um, people who tend to be more asymptomatic are more likely to um, get it again as a recent study. So um, there's a lot of concerns there, and I feel like just operating with sports in this bubble is um, just really a disconnect from reality in a way. And it's, um, I feel like further exploiting athletes who aren't getting paid. So I've talked to so many different um, researchers, doctors, lawyers, epidemiologists about this idea, and just pretty much everybody I've talked to has said college sports is the trickiest, the hardest to pull off. There's so many complications. Um, even youth sports, it might be safer because if you're in an area where you don't have a lot of outbreaks and you're taking your kid and they're going to stay far away playing baseball, and then the parents stay far away from each other, and then you come back, back to your home, that might be safe in some areas. Um, Pro teams, you know, they have tons of resources and they're able to, these guys are paid and they're doing it. Some have checked out and um, that's interesting, but you know, they're in these bubbles and it's self-contained and they're getting constant testing and there's all the money in the world to throw behind it. But college sports, you're, you're a, you're still a college student and you're expected to interact the way every student is. So you're, if they're going to class, you're going to be going to class. Um, You're living in dorms or you're living in a big apartment, um, or a big house with other students and other athletes. And, um, you're coming into contact with tons of people, game day operation. I'm sure that's all would be scaled back, but, um, you know, you're flying, you're traveling, you're playing in, uh, you're you're in close contact with people as a part of your sport. So, you know, the fact that we're seeing all these outbreaks right now, when all they're doing is lifting weights, uh, with nine other guys, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to me to think like once they start tackling each other that there's going to be a decrease. I mean, it just, it's not logical to me. Um, So we've got to really figure out like what is the best way to go forward. If you do go forward, do you push college football back to the spring, which people seem really resistant to that idea again, money. Um, So there's just so much to consider. And I do think, you know, we've got to think beyond just I like football and I want to watch football games.
0: You wrote an article on June 27th, and it was sort of about the legalese of this and pledges or waivers that student athletes are signing as they return to uh, these voluntary quote unquote workouts, which that term voluntary is a bit problematic too. But uh, could you explain a little bit of the legal aspect of this? Because I keep thinking, well, there's gotta be liability issues, but depending on what these students are signing, maybe these athletic departments are kind of finding a way to absolve themselves of any responsibility.
2: Yeah. So I did write about that and it is tricky because there's a lot of schools are asking, um, not all, I think it's about like half of the big 10 schools are asking um, players to sign a document of some sort that it doesn't say you can't sue us. It doesn't explicitly call it a waiver. SMU was um, I think a little different than most of the schools I've seen in that they were a little more explicit about, What rights players are giving up by returning to campus and by working out and participating again, but you know what most of the teams are doing, especially the ones I've seen from the Big Ten, are just are asking athletes to sign a document that recognizes their risks and what the school is responsible for doing too. So a lot of the attorneys I talked to said it all really boils down to the wording um, and it real explicit and it can be sometimes state by state, but um, there's also the idea, anytime you sign a document, it can be used in court. Um, And the idea that they're not trying to protect themselves seems a little unrealistic to me um, as far as legalities with universities. Um, And just, yeah, the idea of um, maybe like the mental aspect of if you're on a college football team look for years everybody who's played a sport you're you're lauded for playing through injuries right and um, you hear that even now even when we know better but it that has gotten better of course but you're there's a lot of groupthink and you're playing for the team and you're expected to sacrifice and you know concussions used to be thought of as like a great thing. <laughs> you know you kept playing when you're, you had a dinger you know it, it's it has evolved but at the same time like that that i think mentality mm-hmm still be there that you're expected to sacrifice for your team and I think there's a lot of social pressure in asking guys to come back even when you're saying hey you're not gonna lose your scholarship which that's great um but I just think it's hard um to expect um 18 to 22 year old guy on a football team to say oh I'm gonna stay home um, and not expect to maybe be given a hard time by his teammates or ostracized or worry about well now I'm gonna be behind and now I'm not gonna get to play so like I don't know how much choice is really involved there in actuality
0: i was thinking about how athletic directors and even chancellors of these higher education institutions that you know they're they're talking about bringing students back first the athletes are already back and then bringing students back in august and it seems to me almost like a game of chicken which was kind of played back in the spring where i think a lot of these leaders are waiting for (laughs) governors to come out and say no sports or the, the federal maybe but we know that's a complete mess um So do you think that athletic directors and chancellors and those, you know, and university admin, are they culpable here if if they allow this to go on and even best intentions, all of that, uh, they would be responsible for really, you know, putting their own students and student athletes health and safety at risk when they I think they should know better.
2: Yeah, there's, I mean, I think um, maybe not from like a legal standpoint, but there is responsibility there. And look, I've talked to a doctor the other day who works um, with professional sports teams. He said, you know, really the best mind, you do have to say, he said, you know, the best minds are working on this stuff. And I've never seen so many people pour their um, intellectual abilities and their resources into really, truly trying to figure out the right way to do this and give credit to that. But the right way to do it might be not doing it or waiting. And that's not really being considered um, as an option. But, you know, I think um, nobody does want to see anybody get sick. But at the same time, there are risks involved that I feel like, again, the domino effect of, um, well, NBA teams are coming back. Oh, and you know, the NFL might come back, you know, just all these ideas of. Seeing what other people do. Look, when what made everybody shut down? What made everybody um, wake up to how uh, severe this is? I think even for myself, seeing what the NBA did when one player when one player had tested positive for coronavirus, Rudy Gobert, the whole sports every sports league shut down one after the other. Right? Um, I was at the big tournament, ten tournament. I think it was the day after, and they're literally pulling guys off the court. Um, there's no t- positive tests there, but th- they realize there's a risk now because I think uh, what they saw the NBA do and what the, the NBA said, okay, this is serious. And then every league started taking it really seriously. Now I'm just, there's this dramatic shift where now Clemson has 30 plus players testing positive and it's like, oh, well, <laughs> you, we'll just all keep playing. And that's not a big deal. Um, that just is so extreme to me in a couple months. And based on what we know that this virus is still out there at a high degree, um, that that we know how it's transmitted. Um, We know close proximity, it spreads. So it just seems like we're (laughs) going back to this denial or something about it. Um, But I think, you know, right. So the NBA is back, Um, Major League Baseball is coming back. The WNBA is coming back. um, soccer is being played. So I think then there's this precedent that's set that, okay, it's okay. We're seeing States reopen, um, you know, and people going back to restaurants and yeah. So then I think you're going to see, um, when there's surges in places and upticks, are we going to ignore it? And are we able to, (laughs) um, apply those lessons then to, to sports teams? Are we going to go back again, um, and shut down again? So, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility, um, I'm not saying from a legal standpoint, but just, I guess, you know, from from your job description as an athletic director or a chancellor of a university of, of how you handle this. And um, I don't know, sports, uh, we have a tendency to <laughs> think of sports in this uh, vacuum um, and defend the teams we root for no matter what, um, even when they do things wrong, Uh So I don't know. It'll be interesting to just kind of see the mentality of how fans or um, alumni want to hold, or if they can hold people responsible um, that are trying to mitigate risks, but at the same time, the risks are out there and you're bringing athletes back.
0: Yeah, there's a darker side of this fan mentality too. And I've been wrestling with this because for me, as much as I want sports back, I don't need it to come back at the cost of health or safety of these players i don't need it that bad but you had tweeted out something yesterday that i think you got a response from a reader or maybe for that matter a few readers along the lines of hey you know someone might die but you know, it comes to the territory whatever like it's collateral damage or something and i'm thinking i don't know what percentage of fans feel that way but um that almost makes me even more apt to say you know what let's let's hit pause and and Is this really what we're bringing it back for? Essentially, entertainment, um, but at a cost that it doesn't seem to jive with the enjoyment I get out of it uh, does not mean that these guys should be going out there bashing each other around, sweating, breathing, uh, all that stuff. Uh, Outdoors or not, it just seems like football more than anything is going to be a really steep hill to climb here.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think a lot of people have um, as science has evolved, even like, let's compare this to the concussion issue. Like I know people who, and I wonder about it myself with a child um, who aren't letting their kid play football or, you know, dissuading them from playing football because of what we know about the dangers of it. And um, we're rooting for people who might be doing like lifelong damage to themselves because we love this sport so much. And um, enjoy watching it so much and they're aware of, I guess, you know, now the consequences of that and choose to play it and that, but, you know, even myself, it's like, you see some of these hits and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm uh, helping kind of glorify this. And do I have a responsibility in that? And, um, you know, the same thing with this, uh, with the coronavirus and bringing players back, I think th- there is a history, um, of sports in this country, um, where, you know, we, we do, there's exploitation of athletes, especially college athletes, like we've talked about, um, the idea that they're not getting paid and, uh, and subjecting themselves to this is a, another element, but just, you know, I think even in the last, um, several years too, and just this idea of shut up and dribble, right. And athletes, and I think there's a segment of fans who really fight against that. And I hope like this era we're seeing like that's such a ridiculous thing to say because everything's intertwined, including sports with our society. But yeah, just that, like, just, you know, who cares? Shut up and play. Um, You know, go out there. You might, you, you probably won't get this or if you do, you'll be fine. You're young and you're, you're just an athlete. You know, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to entertain me. And I'm not supposed to think about your life outside of this. If you have a kid or who has maybe autoimmune diseases or you have, you help take care of your older mother or, you know, you, um, or what the long-term effects might be on you. And just, you know, I don't want to think about that. I just want to see you throw a football or, um, uh, you know, tackle somebody and not connecting that to these people are also, you know, human beings with lives. And, um, I think for a long time, sports has really tried to, um, sports fans, Um, deny that part and I think sports media has had a big part in that unfortunately of uh, um, perpetuating that idea Um, and hopefully we're getting better you know where athletes are talking about racial injustices like they were in the 60s and reporters are I think doing a better job reporting that and connecting like their everyday lives to the issues of um, what's going on in the world so kind of a long (laughs) way to say but I mean I I think yeah there's um, there's a lot of fans who don't care maybe, or don't want to, don't think of it beyond, um, you know, what if that was my kid playing or my brother or my sister, um, playing this sport and that, that there's risks and there is this idea. I mean, we're all, it's a tough thing for everybody to go through. Even if you're not sick of just, we're not living normal life anymore and sports is such a big signifier of normal life. And I was asking that to this, um, one uh, a professor of uh, public health and she was, you know, I was saying, is it sports coming back going to signify to everybody like, hey, everything's fine now, just go about your life. Like, look, these guys are back. And I thought she made a really good point in saying that, um, yeah, but it can also have the other effect when these guys are all getting sick, um, or not all, but, you know, many of them are p- testing positive. And, you know, if a college athlete, um, you know, LSU quarantine, whatever, 30 some people, that you know, you think of college football players as probably the strongest, youngest, you know, most optimal health. And if they're getting it, maybe that will show people like, hey, this is still out there, and you're still at risk too.
0: Yeah, and as you mentioned, this all really started for a lot of people, myself included. And you mentioned the NBA and Rudy Gobert testing positive, and that was when it became real. And thinking, like you said, if 40 kids at LSU all of a sudden their season is suspended because of a COVID outbreak, then I think you would have a lot of people's eyes open wide to this. Um, and that's the, the last point here that I think is <clears throat> particularly interesting about this conversation is that it blends in with the race conversation that's been going on since George Floyd and all the protests that have happened since. Because at the end of the day, the majority of the athletes that you cover and that I talk about, they're young black males, and especially college football They're the ones being brought back, and I know the term guinea pigs was thrown around, I think, in the June 27th article with someone you spoke with. And it seems like uh, the bubble around college sports in particular, man, there's a lot of blind spots. There's a lot of head coaches that I think they still don't get it uh, through the things that they say and especially through the actions and bringing these guys back and not really understanding why there would be concern with that. So uh, do you think that over the next month we're going to continue to see student-athletes speak out about this. I'm thinking what Milo said yesterday and even what Chuba Hubbard said a couple weeks ago is really just kind of the tip of the iceberg of, I don't know if movement is too big of a word, but um, certainly a lot more voices.
2: Yeah, and I mean, look, athletes are really persuasive. I mean, look, Maya Moore just helped get an innocent man out of prison and and gave up the WNBA season to do that, which is just extraordinary and everybody should be really talking about. But yeah, they're they do have a major voice a major influence. And, you know, when LeBron James speaks out about something, people listen, Um, uh, people look up to these guys Um, when an Illinois player says, Hey, you know, and I was surprised to see how many people supported um, Milo Eifer yesterday when he said, you know, um, just contemplated the risks of returning to play and people say, Hey, I would support you no matter what, of course, everyone wasn't like that. But yeah, you know, I think um, when you talk about the, there's cases like what Mike Gundy and the the players um, talking about how inappropriate some of his ideas are or how um, that makes them feel as black athletes. I think um, one of the cases I thought it was so interesting to me was what happened at Iowa, because a lot of these things aren't like overt. Um, Some of the things that came up at Iowa seemed to be with the strength coach, but um, overall it was like these things that just, there's this big um, cultural disconnect sometimes I think between coaches and the players, right? Um, Where the players were saying, you know, like even your rules on style of dress, like that um, is more directed at black athletes, those rules than at the white athletes, the rules you've come up with to say, you know, this is our uniform style of um, not uniform of what you wear on the court, but just, you know, no hoodie or no, you know, how you wear your pants or whatever that over the years, these things um, really seem more directed um, at black athletes. And I can see Kirk Ferrens not really, you know, having that connection maybe. But that's where, you know, we've talked about um, and I've written about and other people that cover Illinois have written about just Lovey Smith's um, staff being so diverse that it has he, his staff has the most Black assistants um, in college football. And um, when I talked to Rayvon Bonner, um, Illinois running back, who was you know, leading some marches um, and speaking at Black Lives Matter um, movement uh, protests and rallies that, you know, he was saying, you know, if I was on some other teams, I might not feel so comfortable doing this. I wouldn't know that I was supported or that my coach is going to understand why um, I'm doing this and think it's a good thing and support me doing it. Um, And I think that's where, you know, everyone likes to talk about diversity. But I mean, these are things of also why it matters. Besides the fact that you're getting you know, you're getting qualified coaches out there who are going to help your program be better because you're casting a wider net to hire people, yes. But you're also helping you um, see the point of view of your athletes and have a bigger understanding, which is probably going to lead to um, a more cohesive, like, locker room and a, where guys do feel welcomed or wanting to play there.
0: Yeah, um, real quick, you, you cover the team. So it, it is Milo, not Milo, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard both. I've been saying Milo okay. this entire episode, so you've clarified for uh, that for me. Last thing before we let you go. Um, the Chicago Tribune, and, and you think about it, New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune. You know, there's certain newspapers that are just sort of entrenched in, uh, and really at the top of journalism. And it's unfortunate that so many great writers are going through kind of a furlough process, writing for a few weeks, not writing for the next Um And I'm just struck by how now more than ever, and this kind of sounds cliche, but it's true that journalism is essential. And we're finding out that even through uh, the stories that you're writing, sports journalism is essential. So um, any any thoughts or words about kind of the the general state of media right now? And are are you optimistic? Are you cynical? Um, How are you feeling about how things may look in six months from now?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, specifically at the Tribune, you know, we've been asked to take three total weeks of furloughs, not getting paid, um, and that's everybody. So, I mean, it's really troubling um, when we're going through some of the most important things that are happening in our lifetimes, right? I mean, a global pandemic, um, a, a um, racial justice movement Um extreme economic issues um, with businesses and to think like that the watchdogs of our society who are most <laughs> reliable to tell you you know what these people in power are doing and help hold them accountable aren't being allowed to work um and people being laid off it is troubling i really hope people look at there's a this really awful narrative about the media mm-hmm. and companies from our uh, federal administration particularly, that's um, really not justified and reporters are part of your community um, and are there to make sure you're you're being watched out for, that your rights are protected and that the people you vote for um, or give your money to, um, whether that's even a sports team or a politician, or a business are doing the right things um, and telling you about what's happening in your community. Um, it's really important to keep that alive. Um, right now um, at the Tribune, um, there's a petition going around and it would be great if people would sign it to help us find a local investor instead of um, we have a hedge fund that is just has a long reputation of destroying newspapers, buying newspapers basically to dismantle them. And I think that'd be a horrible shame for Chicago to lose some of... Um, The best reporters in the country at the uh, Tribune who really have done remarkable work in holding leaders accountable um, and exposing wrongs of our society and wrongs of our city um, and of our state. So if people want to sign that and help us, um, encourage finding a local person to help us, um, watch out for you, that would be great. Um, and subscribe to your, I don't care where it is, even if it's not Chicago and not the Tribune, but describe to your local newspapers, nobody's going to help you and help your, um, city officials, um, stay true to what they said or for you to know about it, um then then your local newspaper so wherever you live just to subscribe to that and to support that um and you don't always have to agree with it um or you can ignore the columns or the editorials but the day-to-day reporters out there are are working for you really
0: where is that petition at shannon where can that be found
2: you can find it on my twitter i'll tweet it out um again and again <laughs> and excellent it's uh save our Tribune.com, i'm pretty sure is the the website um and it's, it's for all Tribune-owned papers. So, um, yeah, it, it, that's just one thing you can do and subscribing to papers is another, like I said, any, any of your local papers, is really um, kind of the cornerstone of a democracy, not to get all sentimental it's about
0: true. it, it's true. but
2: you know, it is. And I think it's um, really been taken for granted and, you know, we need to be held accountable too and um, make sure we're doing the right things too. And um, ha- that we have diverse staffs and that we, you know, rep, we write about all communities and have, you know, there's a bit of a reckoning going on in journalism too about those things. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad we're trying to get better in that um, for everybody. So, um, but yeah, I think it's important. And even if I wasn't in this field, hopefully I would feel like it was an important thing to support.
0: Well, Shannon, without, uh, with the absence of live sports, not every sports journalist has had an easy time navigating it and figuring out what to write about, but you've always had an ability to, Uh, write about the larger issues on and off the court and off the field. And uh, I would recommend for anyone that hasn't to go to Chicago Tribune. You can even Google Shannon Ryan Chicago Tribune and see all the articles that you've written over these last few months. And uh, it's always good stuff. It's always must read um, material. And I appreciate your time.
2: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: All right. Thanks, Shannon. Shannon Ryan, Chicago Tribune, joining us here on the 200 level, episode 99. We got episode 100 coming up. I think we'll get it out Monday. I'm going to try to talk with Harry and Trevor on Sunday. And uh, send a text out to Steve. I know it's a holiday weekend, so maybe we'll get him on. I'll get Isaac Ambrose if he's available as well for our 100th episode extravaganza. Good points there from Shannon about journalism, about media. We've had conversations on the 200 level before about how journalism gets lumped into this monolithic term media, the evil media. And don't buy that. You know, I I can tell you from the experience I've had, most of the people that are in this, the vast majority of people that become a reporter, especially, they work their asses off and it is a watchdog. It is a protective role to keep people informed. Uh, Case in point, there's a great documentary, and I think it's pretty new, just put on Netflix called Athlete A, and it's about Larry Nassar and U.S. Women's Gymnastics and three reporters from the Indy Star Start an investigation, and before you know it, 500 different uh, survivors of Larry Nassar's abuse. They come forward when all is said and done. It's a remarkable, uh, very moving documentary, and as a journalism junkie, uh, even though I've, I've never practiced the reporting side of it, much more like commentary sort of stuff, as a journalism junkie, though, it is it gives you that much more reason to continue to believe in journalism as the fourth estate, as this important uh, part of our democracy. I know those sound like big words, and again, I've used the word Pollyanna before, and maybe that's what I sound like right now, but it, it is true, it is essential, and Shannon is one of the best writers going in terms of sports coverage, and she's always been able to touch on larger issues surrounding sports, and that's why in these last three months, you've seen the cream rise to the top. You know, you've seen some sports media people that they don't know what to do. They got nothing really to say, nothing to add, and I think that goes to the blind spots that we were talking about from athletic directors and coaches who certainly view their student athletes differently. Well, there's some media people that seem to be in that same sort of mindset, that these athletes are there for our entertainment, their health and safety be damned, they're here to entertain me, and the only thing that we're going to write or talk about are the games on the field. And that's disingenuous. But when you have people like Shannon, when you have, gosh, a lot of the people locally, News Gazette is killing it. I really need to get Bob, Osmuson who have criticized before. I need to give Bob credit, their sports staff, Jeff D'Elessio, They've been doing a great job covering what matters in terms of the race conversation. And now you lump that in with student athlete health and safety and News Gazette, they've been on it. I really need to give them credit for that because God knows I've been critical. And listen, you know, There's been reasons to be critical of them, but credit where credit is due. They've been doing excellent with that. All right, we're entering the 4th of July holiday weekend. I hope you have a great, safe holiday weekend. Don't light too many fireworks, you know, because my dog hates them. Not that she could hear from wherever you're lighting them, but, man, dogs really do not like fireworks. We Fortunately, the neighbors, they've been lighting them off a little bit earlier, so by the time we take her out for her final Bathroom break of the night, she's good, no big deal, but it is going to be an odd holiday weekend and that some of the larger barbecues and traditions that I'm used to, and usually I'm like at a Dave concert weekend on 4th of July, eh, ain't gonna happen, it's gonna be much more low-key, but for whoever you are hanging out with, your friends, your family, uh, your partner, just however low-key it may be, I hope you stay safe and healthy, and it is just a good old-fashioned, super hot 4th of July weekend. I wouldn't have it any other way. If there's going to be a humid weekend, why not now? So um, that's about it for the first 99 episodes of the 200 level. Crazy to think that we're approaching our 100th. I did not think that the last 30 or however many there has been since this outbreak, I did not think that they would take this course, but I'm kind of glad it has because it has opened up a Pandora's box of different topics that we can talk about on here and shows that... You know, Outside of what happens on the court and on the field, there is always plenty of material to talk about. All right, so for DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. State Farm Agent Brian Hanson, online at brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners of the 200 level. We will be back with a 100th episode spectacular. Lots of surprises and fun along the way, but in the meantime, have a happy 4th of July, and we will see you next week. It is the 200 level.